Holy Spirit, one God, amen. Well, the church is uh, still very much in the spirit of the apostles. Um, as Amber Crollo said last week, uh, we actually will spend the next four weeks talking about the um, apostles and kind of the concept of, of uh, the apostles and, and revolve around that. Um, and from the gospel today, at that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And one of the nice characteristics of the apostles is they asked God, Christ, whatever was in their heart, whatever kind of came to mind. It didn't bother them to ask a stupid question or a silly question or even an arrogant question when they would say, you know, who's the greatest? They just said whatever was on their, in their hearts. Uh, and as adults, we don't always do that. Um, you know, as we gain earthly wisdom, uh, we don't open up as we used to. We don't ask questions like we used to. Um, and the disciples weren't embarrassed to ask. They just asked. Um, and they, they kind of asked like a little child asks, you know, just kind of asks their dad. And the Lord kind of picked up on this characteristic uh, of them just asking what was in their heart. And so he continued. He said, he called a little child to him and placed the child among them and said, truly, I say to you, unless you change and become like a little child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever takes the lowly position of this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Um, but before we talk about the kind of the characteristics of a child, he kind of followed that up with some pretty harsh words about stumbling and causing others to stumble. Um, and he follows it after talking about being a child. And Christ's words are unusually strong about causing others to stumble. He says it would be better for them to have a large millstone hung around their neck and to be drowned in the depths of the sea. That's pretty harsh, and, and Christ doesn't usually talk that harshly. Um, and so what does it mean to cause someone else to stumble? Uh, does that mean we're not supposed to sin? Uh, does me sinning cause someone else to stumble? I mean, I hear that sometimes, you know, don't be a stumbling block to others. Does that mean I can't sin? I mean, well, can anyone not sin? Can you be perfect? You know, the Litany of the Departed says that we say in Asheya, no one is pure even if his life were a single day on earth. Right? So clearly the church doesn't think we can't sin. So that must not be it. So then what do we do? Do I hide my sins? Do I conceal them from others? Do I pretend I don't have any? Do I just give one face and let everyone see a different look? Maybe causing one to stumble is, is just that making it seem like I am righteous, pretending I'm something other than what I am. And that's what the Jews did, ultimately. They imposed all kinds of things on people that they didn't do themselves. They imposed very lofty ideals that they didn't do themselves, and they burdened people with acts that they themselves didn't do or didn't do from their hearts. But more than the Jews, I'm not really too worried about the Jews of the Old Testament, this is what I do. I absolutely hide my sins. I assume my churchly righteousness when I come on Sunday, when I'm here. And then I absolutely impose that on others, a high level of righteousness that I myself don't follow. I judge people by a different standard all the time. Uh, two weeks ago, Abuna Krolos so powerfully made the point that judgment of others is so destructive to our spiritual lives. And unfortunately, we live in a world of Christianity where judgment is so easy to pronounce. 
it's so easy to share and spread. And it not only destroys us, it destroys others. I mean, we live in this age of social media where we can just destroy others so quickly. And so do people leave the church because of judgment? Do people leave the faith? Do they leave orthodoxy, leave Christianity? Do people become atheists because of others? Yeah, absolutely. Happens all the time. People leave because they're judged. They feel judged. They feel attacked. St. Isaac the Syrian has this quote. He says, know that if fire comes out from you and burns others, God will ask you for the souls of the burnt. If fire comes out of you and burns others, God will ask you for those souls. He also says, and I like this, be gentle rather than zealous. Lay hold of goodness rather than justice. If you have to pick, pick the, pick the nice one. There's a, I remember when I was young, I was about 12 years old and I was dressing as a deacon and my, my father, uh, my, my uncle, uh, Abun Antonius, God rest his soul, um, we were all waiting for Abuna to bless our Tonyas. And one of the deacons, a zealous deacon, said, you know, Abuna, we should change the policy. We should make it so that unless you come right at the very beginning of the church, you can't dress deacon. You know, that if you don't make this very first cutoff, then you shouldn't be able to dress. And he said that in front of all the deacons who had made it to the very first cutoff, right? So we're all feeling like, yeah, that's what we should do. And my uncle, I remember, said something amazing. He just kind of looked, he thought for a second, and he said, there's mercy and there's justice. And if I have to pick, I always pick mercy. And then he looked at the guy and he said, you live one minute from this church. What about the person that lives 45 minutes away from that church? Your children are grown. What about the person who has young children and is scrambling to get them to church on time? Let's pick mercy and not justice. And I remember that it just struck me that he had so much wisdom so quickly, you know, on the spot. Be gentle rather than zealous. Lay hold of goodness rather than justice. And so do kids do that? Do kids pretend to be righteous, to pretend to be something they're not? What is it to become like a child? What does that mean? Should I annoy my parents for every little thing that I want? Should I rely on my parents for all my needs? Christ said, become like children. Do I cry and run to my parents when things don't go my way? Yeah, yeah, why not? Why not do that? Why not run to our parents every time something doesn't go our way? St. Faustina says, when I see that the burden is beyond my strength, I do not consider or analyze it or probe into it, but I run like a child to the heart of Jesus and say only one word to him, you can do all things. And then I keep silent because I know that Jesus himself will intervene on the matter. And as for me, instead of tormenting myself, I use that time to love him. It's perfect, right? When the going gets tough, I run like a little child to the heart of Jesus. What does a small child do when they sin? They come running and they come running and crying to their parents, admitting their fault. And sometimes a child will bury their head in their mom or dad's stomach and they'll be crying about something they did even though that they, they know that the parent may punish them for what they're saying, but yet they find comfort in the parent. 
In the book, Our Thoughts Determine Our Lives, which is actually in the back, Elder Thaddeus says, all of us sin constantly. We slip and fall. In reality, we fall into traps set by the demons. The Holy Fathers and the saints always tell us, it is important to get up immediately after a fall and to keep on walking toward God. Even if we fall a hundred times a day, it does not matter. We must get up and go on walking toward God without looking back. What has happened has happened. It is in the past. Just keep on going, all the while asking for help from God. So he's telling us to get up and keep walking. Keep walking towards your dad, towards your parents. Talk to him. Keep the conversation going. Don't hide from your father. So going back, how do we cause others to stumble? It's not by sinning, not by not sinning. Obviously, that's not very realistic. It's by sinning and then thinking that I'm righteous. This happens because I don't run back to my parents. When the Lord said to the disciples and he taught them how to pray, how did he teach them? What did he say? Say, our father. So he told them, be like a child. In, th in doing this, he gave us permission to speak like to him like a child speaks to his father. And this is huge. He established a whole different way of thinking a whole new relationship, a whole new perspective on who God was when he said that. It was radical when he said, call him Father. And when we think about our relationships, even with friends, how many times have you sat with a friend and just talked about nothing? Right? Sometimes we'll get together with old friends and we'll tell the same stories over and over again. Remember five years ago when we did this? And remember 10 years ago when you did that? And it's the same story. And we already know the story. And we're still laughing and we're enjoying the story. We know how it ends. Then we say how we reacted to the story, even though we already know how the other person reacted to the story because they told it 10 times. So what's going on? We just enjoy being with each other, right? Even if nothing new is added, just being with a friend, especially one you haven't seen in a long time, just being with them, it's huge. And sometimes people just text for no reasons, right? Sometimes you'll text your friend for no reason, just say hi. Right, and I get these texts, you know, youth do this all the time. Hi, okay, hi, right? And so what's, what's going on? I wanna connect, right? I wanna start a conversation, I wanna chat. I wanna, I wanna connect and, and have a relationship. So they just wanna be with you in your presence and hang out, and children are like this, right? Some of you guys remember when your kids were younger, you'd be sitting in the living room and your kids would take their toys from wherever the toy room was and bring it to the middle of the living room and start playing there. And they didn't want to talk to you. They didn't want you to do anything. They just wanted to play where you were. Right? They just wanted to be near you as they played. Why? Because they love you. And they want to be in your presence. So when we think of our children, can you imagine our children not speaking to us? Can you imagine them saying, well, my parents know everything about me. I don't need to tell them anything, so I'm just not gonna speak to them. Why should I? They know. Do we ever think that? I mean, how do your parents feel when you don't call them for a, a day, right? My parents still give me grief when I don't call, I'm 50 years old. So we can imagine that God is waiting to talk to us all day. And we're busy, we're distracted, we're running around, but God is sitting there waiting 
for this conversation. And finally, he sees us go into our room. We shut the door, and he thinks to himself, okay, we're going to have a conversation. He or she is going to actually talk to me today. They're going to open up their hearts, and they're going to tell me what's inside. Finally, our hearts are going to connect. Finally, my child is going to tell me about their day. And then what do we do? We stand there, we go, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. And then God's like, ah, maybe tomorrow. Maybe he'll open up tomorrow. So the question is, what does God want us to pray for? What does he want us to pray for? I mean, when we think about prayer, we know that he knows what we want before we ask, right? And doesn't God give us things even when we don't ask? He knows we need them, so he gives them to us. And sometimes we figure out why he gave them to us, like, you know, six months later. So he knows what we need before we ask. He gives us things when we don't ask. And if we ask, will God give us something he doesn't want us to have? I mean, if he didn't intend for me to have something, something that isn't good for me, will he just give it to me? What if I beg? I mean, does God say, well, I didn't intend for Marchie to get that job, but he really prayed hard, so I'm going to change my mind, and I'm going to give him the job. I wasn't going to. It's not good for him, but, you know, he, he prayed about it a lot, and so I'm going to give it to him. Does God work like that? Is that the relationship in prayer that we have? Is that what prayer is all about? Rolling the dice and seeing that if, my cosmi if the cosmic vending machine is going to give me what I want, maybe if I say it this way, if I ask for this saint, or if I attend this liturgy, maybe I'll get the thing I want. Probably not. It sounds a little confusing and a lot, little scary. So what am I supposed to pray for? And today, the gospel today is the answer. Let's go back to the kids. What do, what do you want your children to tell you? When they come home from school, what do you want them to tell, tell you about? St. Paul in Philippians says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, pres present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So what do our parents want to hear about when we come home from school? What do you want to hear about? Everything. How was lunch? How was math class? Was that bully still bullying you? What did you play at recess? What games do you like? What sport do you like? What class is going well? What class is going poorly? Do you like the kid you're sitting next to? Do you like the pizza? Is the cafeteria lady nice? You want to ask them everything. Right? That's what we ask. That's what we want to hear from our kids. And sometimes we'll ask our kids, you know, how is school to go? Fine. Wrong answer. Right? So we ask another dozen questions because we want to hear, we want to hear it all. So Jacques Philippe says, prayer makes us into friends of God, introduces us into intimacy with him, and draws us into the richness of his life, bringing us to live in him and bringing him to live in us. Without this, without prayer, the Christian religion is merely empty formalism. The announcing, of, the announcing of the gospel is just propaganda, and charitable commitment is just social work that does not make any fundamental change in the condition of mankind. So man is searching for God, but God is searching for man more actively. God calls us to pray to him, because right from the start and more than we can possibly imagine, 
He desires to enter into communion with us. So what's prayer? It's not just asking for things. God invites us to waste time on him. Waste our time on him. Not a desire to obtain anything. We don't have to justify to anyone the time we spend on prayer. The saints tell us that it will be a fruitful waste of time. Waste time on God. Be in his presence. This is the key to prayer. It isn't about asking, and that happens occasionally that we ask, but much in the way that a child reveals to their parents, I need something, but in the way of conversation, in, the way of, in, a, in a slew of other emotions, the child will say, oh, by the way, my pants don't fit. And the parent immediately jumps. And imagine a child who stays in the room and doesn't come out because he knows his needs are being taken care of. He only comes out to say, wash my clothes, give me food, I need money. And then he goes back in his room. Imagine what the parent feels if your child only walked out to tell you, wash my clothes, I need food, I don't like this, I need more money, give me that. And then went back into their room. How the parents feel. Does my kid even love me? Does my kid even care? Is the only reason he talks to me to ask for stuff doesn't he just want to spend time with me? Doesn't he want to come out and play with the Legos in the middle of the living room like they used to? Why don't they do that anymore? And sadly, we often pray in that way. Sadly, we just pray, we stay in our room, and then we come out and say, I need this, I want this, I don't like this. Make it, make it so, make it change. And then I go back into my room, and I don't speak to God after that. So paradoxically, the more our prayer is gratuitous, it's just done freely, not to get something out of it, the more effective it becomes. So we're not merely servants or even sons. We're called to be friends, sharing God's life and being close to him over and, over and above any question of usefulness or advantage. We're called to be friends. I read a story where Christ appeared to a saint and told her, it's easier to find laborers to work than children to play. It's easier to find laborers to work than children to play. So to, to pray is to spend time freely with God and just waste the time and enjoy being close. And this is what love is. It's not just giving things. It's spending time with someone. This is how we show love. We spend time. And prayer trains us to be there with God, very close, very intimate and spending time in a simple act of just loving attention. It doesn't have to be formal words. It doesn't have to be well-composed, you know, dialogue. Just simple, loving attention. And we find that little by little, the more we sit with God, the more he takes the first place in our lives. So how do we do this? We focus on God's fullness, not our emptiness. So there's emptiness in us, lots of emptiness, but our days are more crowded than ever. We're always running around, but we're empty. And we're emptier than we've ever seen them. We work, but we're restless. We're busy, but we're not happy. We play, but we're dissatisfied. All of these things. Jesus once told a parable about inner emptiness. He told of a man who swept an evil spirit out of his house. You guys remember this parable? The spirit wandered around for some time, but later, it came back and found the house empty, swept, and put in order. 
the house was empty. So the evil spirit moved back in and brought with him seven other demons that are worse than before. The man ended up in a worse state than he did before. The parable points out to the greater danger that lies in being empty. Namely, an empty house does not stay empty. Right? Spiders move in, snakes move in, mice move in, rats, bats, all these things move into old houses that are empty. We say that no one is really non-religious. Right? If one faith is abandoned, another one takes its place. If I leave God, another faith takes its place. If I'm empty without God and prayer, Satan comes in and the mice and the rats move in. And you don't have to invite them in, they just come in. These, these rodents don't ask for permission. So how do I fill myself with my father? How do I get rid of the emptiness? I talk, I discuss, I vent, I argue. This is how prayer life should be with God. But what do I ask for? If I have to ask for something, what do I ask for? Let's go back to the kids. What do you want your kid to tell you? You're a parents, as parents, what's the ideal statement that come out of your kid's mouth? What's the ideal statement? Baba, tell me what you want me to do and I'll do it. <sighs> Nothing better than that. It's never been said, but when it is said, <laughs> I, I'll, I'll let you guys know. Dad, what do you want me to do and I'll do it? That's the perfect thing a child can say to their parents. And that is the perfect thing we can say to our parent. St. Isaac the Syrian says, prayer is the submission of my will to God's. So even when I ask, I ask and say, Dad, what do you want? And I'll do it. That's prayer. So let me end with my favorite prayer on, uh, poem on, on prayer. It's called the Whatever Prayer. It's pretty short, but I like it. It goes, whatever you want, Lord, I want. Whatever you choose, I choose. Whatever you say, I'll do. Whatever you give, I'll receive. Whatever you withhold, I'll accept. Whatever you plan, I rejoice in. Whatever, Lord, whatever. So let us all learn how to pray like this together. Instead of making prayer so utilitarian, let it be contact with our dad. Let's be like the little children. May the Lord give us this docile nature of a child and accept our Father's will in our lives and glory be to God forever.